0: How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations and now let's get started welcome back to life's key three this year in 2023 our theme is the year of the word and we are diving into significant passages of scripture and we will be covering entire books of the bible certainly not all of the bible this year if you would like to turn this podcast into a strategic bible study for yourself and if you have children to include your children Then hop on over to stephaniepresents.com and sign up for the highlights newsletter. Each week you will receive three additional days of very manageable reading material and I include references to two different children's Bibles. One is appropriate for elementary age children and the other is great for preschoolers. It's all laid out for you. There are insights as well as discussion questions, So all you have to do is pick it up and apply it. The book of 1 Samuel might not be the place that you would automatically think, let's start the year off with the Old Testament book that some people probably have never even read. But this is a fascinating book that has so many life lessons. In the last episode, we took a fresh look at the familiar story of David and Goliath. And looked at why maybe the story was never supposed to be Dave and Goliath. Maybe it was always supposed to be Saul and Goliath. If you haven't listened to that episode, I strongly encourage you to do that. Go back and see that there are some insights about that story that are often missed. Now, that was a fun chapter to talk about. Today's chapter is not really quite so much fun. As a matter of fact, I kind of wish I could just skip over it. But you know what? The Bible is there for a reason. And even when there are passages that we don't particularly like, they still have valuable lessons for us. Because let's be real, all of life doesn't go the way that we would particularly like. And there are things that it takes work for us to understand, and then there are things that really do come down to a matter of what we are going to choose to believe about God's basic and essential character. What had happened between the last episode when we looked at chapter 17 and just a few chapters later in 21 is pretty remarkable and really tragic. The highlight is the friendship that developed between David and Jonathan. That's something I may go back to in another episode and just dive into those chapters because there are so many lessons there about the power of relationships and how we choose our friends. The friendship between David and Jonathan may have been one of the greatest friendships that we can see in the Bible. And most of us would only hope to be able to have one friend like that in our lifetime. But it does give us reason to hope and it gives us reason to look at our own lives to see are we willing to be a friend like Jonathan was to David and David was to Jonathan? Made all the more remarkable because Jonathan was Saul's son. So what has transpired is David goes from being this champion by defeating Goliath, which then led to a victory over the Philistines by the Israelites and being called into Saul's service to becoming a perceived threat to Saul. And Saul sets out to try to kill him. Yes, kill him. There's no metaphor there on different occasions. One day there is a feast and David in Saul's cabinet, if you will, is expected to be there, but he doesn't show up. And he's made this arrangement with Jonathan because David is like, you know what, Jonathan, I don't think your father is going to clue you in anymore as to what he really thinks and believes about me because he knows of the friendship that you and I have. And I'm pretty sure that your dad is out to kill me. And Jonathan has a really hard time coming to grips with that. And we can have a lot of empathy for Jonathan. That's a hard place to be in, to have to admit that your own father who's keen Who does have some really good qualities can be murderous as well and is so filled with jealousy and so it takes jonathan time to really come to accept this reality and so this feast happens and they've set up this arrangement and jonathan realizes that yeah david's right and saul is really out to kill him david knows he has to get out of there and that was a smart move on his part. But here's the first lesson that we can look at in chapter 21. Just because he had a sound reason for getting away from Saul, he didn't have a sound plan. David has been anointed by Samuel at this point, and Samuel has told him, At some point, you will be king. Now, he hasn't been coronated. There's no civil war that's taking place between two kings who are both saying, I'm the rightful king. David firmly understands that the anointing was going to lead to a position that would come in the future. It was an announcement. It was a prophetic announcement of where his life would lead. It wasn't a statement of this is a position that you're going to step into right now. And one of the things that we see in the opening of this chapter is that being anointed doesn't mean you're wise. It just means you're anointed. We don't know exactly David's age, but we can gather from the story that he is a younger man at this point. Now, I don't mean a kid. He's a man at this point, but he's definitely younger He's experienced in some areas, but he's very inexperienced in terms of his overall leadership. Now, he has a few men with him, but he doesn't lead these troops that are loyal to him and opposed to Saul. He has certainly led troops that Saul put him in touch with and put him in charge with, but David's not staged some sort of civil war that's going on here. So when he travels, oftentimes there are other people traveling with him, but they're not the troops that he took with him personally that he had been assigned by Saul. So David runs away and he comes to the city of Nob and he comes to Ahimelech the priest. And at this point, David is hungry and Ahimelech is scared. Ahimelech knew of David's position, and he's not clear why one of the king's military men have shown up in his town. So again, he's frightened, and he has good reason to be frightened. David's appearance wasn't automatically a comfort. It could be a sign of distress or something that was headed their way. David assures him that he comes in peace, but We cannot escape that David lies, and this is where things get really tricky, and this is where I'm glad that I don't have to tell you the moral judgment that is or is not to be made here about David. Certainly, the Ten Commandments tell us that it is wrong to lie. However, was it wrong for people to lie throughout history when they were, for example, protecting the Jews from their oppressors during the Holocaust and during the Second World War. And this is a meaningful, moral, and ethical issue that a person needs to really examine looking at scripture interpreted by other scripture. Because to make a blanket statement that says, it is never wrong to deceive someone if you have good reason for doing so, Well, that just not only leaves the barn door wide open, so to speak, I mean, it pretty much just rips the door and the roof off the barn and gives a person carte blanche to tell whatever lies that they want to tell as long as they can say, well, I'm motivated by a good purpose. On the other hand, if we say it is always wrong to deceive someone, then when the result of that would lead to someone else's false imprisonment or death, or destruction in some way, then how do we decide what values that we will prioritize? We're not going to dive into all of that today, not because it's not important, but we're going to stay within the scope of our study. But David here has not been sent out by Saul on the secret mission that he claims that he has been. So why does he say this? I think he says this because he does not want to get Ahimelech or anybody else there in trouble. He is not trying to deceive Ahimelech to get something that he wants, he's actually trying to protect him. David and his men need to eat, he's hungry. Not like, oh, I could have a little snack. Like, I don't know how long it's been since I had food, and I am on the run for my life, and I need something to eat. If David had said to Ahimelech, well, here's the deal. I was supposed to be at this feast, but Saul's really mad at me, and he keeps throwing his javelin at me and trying to kill me. And so I thought it was best to get out of there. And so I'm on the run, and I really need something to eat. He was going to put Ahimelech in a very bad position if that's the story that he would have told. So instead, he tells a different story so that he can get food and Ahimelech will be protected. At least that's what David thinks is going to happen. One of the important things in studying the Bible is looking at what isn't there, not just looking at what did happen, what did get said. But looking at what didn't happen, what didn't get said, there's no indication here that David has prayed and sought God about what he should do. He seems to be acting just out of himself and his own knowledge and wisdom rather than saying, God, I'm going to come to you and ask you what I need to be doing in this situation. David is also afraid and he is fatigued fatigue and fear create tremendous vulnerabilities to shortcuts and to sin. we need to be mindful that when we are in places where we are dealing with fear anxiety high levels of stress when we have fatigue that is overwhelming to us that we be on the lookout for where we are vulnerable to taking shortcuts Or to outright sin. Ahimelech says to David, Well, the only food that I have here is this holy bread. Basically, this is bread that you just weren't supposed to sit down and have for dinner or for a snack. It had a sacred purpose in the ceremonial worship of God, and it wasn't just supposed to be handed out. But that's all that Ahimelech has available. It's interesting because Jesus references this story in the book of Matthew, chapter 12 and verse 4. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit because anytime that Jesus looks back to the Old Testament and references something, there's a principle in there we really need to pay attention to. In Matthew, chapter 12, Jesus and the disciples have been walking through this grain field and it says that the disciples were hungry. And as they're walking through this field, they begin pulling the heads of grain off of the stalks and eating them. I don't know exactly what kind of grain that was, but I grew up on a farm. And I'm just telling you, I can't think of any kind of grain that when you just pull it straight off the the stalk, tastes really good. Sweet corn, maybe, but even then you usually want to cook it before you eat it. But if you're pulling wheat berries off of a wheat stalk, it just doesn't taste good all by itself. So the disciples must have been really, really hungry on this day that they're going through and they're not taking the time to roast or mash or cook this grain. They're just pulling it off and just chopping on it as is. And the Pharisees notice this. And they start complaining because to them, oh, your disciples are working on the Sabbath. They are breaking one of the commandments. Jesus, you need to call them on this. And there's two lessons in both of these stories. The one of Jesus and his disciples and going through the grain fields and also with David coming into the city of Nob and with Ahimelech. And the two are this. Number one is that Institutions and traditions are always designed to serve people, not people serving institutions and traditions. And that doesn't matter what the institution is, whether it's marriage, whether it's the church, whether it's government, it doesn't matter what the tradition is. There is no institution that should be placed higher than an individual life. There is a difference between being called to die to our sinful nature and being asked to die to our humanity. God never calls us to die to our humanity. He calls us to die to our sinful nature. And any institution that compels us to die to our humanity is out of place. And so this is what Jesus responds in the book of matthew chapter 12 and he points back to david and basically he's like uh guys you know david that guy that you uphold and that king and and that person that you just want to uphold as being this this great example and role model well guess what he did and he goes on and he wants them to understand that david was not wrong because the point wasn't to just have this holy bread The point was that the person mattered than the bread. The second lesson that we can learn from this is somebody is always watching. In Matthew, as Jesus and his disciples are going through the field, who's watching? It's the Pharisees. Somebody is always watching what you are doing, even when you don't think that's the case. And we also see this in this chapter 21 of 1 Samuel because there's somebody there watching and observing what takes place between David and Ahimelech. And this is a man, Dog, and he's an Edomite. And we're going to learn later about the tragedy that this leads to. Ahimelech has no reason to disbelieve David's story And so he gives David not only the bread, but he actually also gives him the sword of Goliath that he had killed just a few chapters earlier because David had to get out of town so fast. He didn't have time to go home and get his weapons and his equipment and anything else like that. He just had to leave pretty much with the shirt on his back, so to speak. Then what does David do? He goes to Gath. Now, if you recall in the last episode, we talked about David fighting Goliath and where was Goliath from? Goliath was from Gath. I'm not sure exactly why David decides to go back to Gath, but to Gath he goes. Again, we have to point out here, there's no indication that David had been praying and said, God, where are you going to send me? He's afraid. He's scared. He's on the run. He's pretty inexperienced at this point. He doesn't know what to do. We've already learned enough about his family to know probably running home was not only going to result in his family's confidence and rallying around him. It actually was going to put them in jeopardy as well because Saul could hunt them down as well as David. David shows up in Gath and he presents himself to the king. And the people there have heard of him. His story has preceded him. And they say to the king, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Is this the same David that the Israelites sing and dance about where they say, hey, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands? David's reputation had definitely preceded him. When David hears this, he becomes what? he becomes afraid. By now, especially if you've been following along with the reading between podcast episodes, you might have clued in to the fact that there's a lot of fear motivating people in the book of 1 Samuel. And that didn't just stop with them and it certainly didn't just stop with the Old Testament. David hears this report and he becomes afraid. And so this is what he does. He begins to put on an act. And what he does is he acts like he is insane. He begins to not practice good hygiene. He lets spit from his mouth, drop out of his mouth, and drool all the way down his beard. He scratches on the the doors of the gate and like claws his hands and fingernails into them and, and scribbles or makes marks on them. Basically, he's acting as if he has lost all of his sanity. Why? Why is he doing this? He wants the king to not be afraid of him. He wants to say, I'm no threat to you. Well, Achish the king is irritated by all of this, and he gets frustrated with his people. It's like, why why have you wasted my time bringing this madman into my presence? Take him out of here. Get him out of here. I basically have enough idiots around that I don't need to have anybody else who is insane in my presence. And so David ends up leaving Gath. One of the comforts that we can take from this chapter 21 of 1 Samuel is that even though David made some really poor decisions here, God didn't withdraw his anointing and he didn't withdraw his presence. David was acting out of fear. He was acting out of fatigue. Now that didn't mean there weren't any consequences that came to him or other people. And we'll see that in some later chapters, but he wasn't acting out of defiance to God's specific instruction. It was more a matter of not seeking God rather than hearing from God and refusing God's direction that got him into these situations. One of the things, again, that I love about the Bible, and when we look at the people that we would say, well, these are the protagonists and the role models and the examples for us to model our lives over in the Bible, God just says it all. I mean, he tells the good, the bad, and the ugly about people. And that's one of the reasons that it's worth studying, because these aren't superhuman people that are held up for us that we can't relate to and say, well, they never made mistakes. So don't assume that just because there's something in the Bible that someone does who was anointed by God or called by God or blessed by God, that everything they did was in response to God's approval and instruction and didn't have any negative consequences with it. We don't want to make that flawed mistake in our logic. All right, we're going to wrap up the episode here today. Next time, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 25 and a story that I love. It is a powerful story, and it's one that a lot of times gets skimmed over, or else the only parts of it that we focus on are, again, about David. And just like sometimes we miss the other elements of the story, like we can miss in the story of David and Goliath, There are some elements in this next chapter 25 that we're going to look at that we can miss because we only stay focused on a certain part of it. So tune in next time. And in the meantime, leave a rating and a review for this podcast. You know, that really just kind of helps the algorithms that be so more people can find this podcast and be encouraged and grow in their wisdom based on the word. And then if you haven't already, hop on over to stephaniepresents.com. Subscribe to Highlights. And while you're there, check out speaking engagements that I offer. One of those is a message specifically for women about fear. And definitely that's something that we all have to address. And we certainly have seen a lot of that in the book of 1 Samuel. All right, my friend, that's a wrap for today. And remember this, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.